APATA acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the land on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The first peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling. And it is a privilege to continue that tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. From audio theatre experiences to analogue treasure hunts, Threshold's indoor adventures have brought the delight and wonder of theatre to thousands of homes around the globe, encouraging deeper connection and helping people find the poetic and the playful in life's milestones. For this episode, I spoke with Tali Karin, the co-founder and co-director of Threshold, along with Sarah Lockwood, the creative producer for Drop Bear Theatre, and Zoe Barry cellist, composer, performance maker and educator and part of the larger collaborative ensemble responsible for Threshold's lockdown hit, Mountain Goat Mountain. You can find out more about Mountain Goat Mountain and other offerings of Threshold at thethreshold.com.au and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tali Karin and Zoe Barry. Jennifer, it's so lovely to be here with you. Let's rewind back to your family and where you grew up and where you went to school. Tali? <laughs> so uh, I was born on Narkat country, which is um, uh, on the border of what we know as South Australia and Victoria in Pinaroo, uh, a small farming community. Um, and I, I grew up there on a sheep farm with my uh, three siblings and my parents until I was seven. And then um, for lots of reasons, uh, we moved to the Barossa Valley. Um, but, you know, I know for my parents that one of those reasons was, was cultural, was about giving us access to um, experiences other than, than um, those kind of remote community experiences that, that were available to us in, in Pinaru. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. What about you, Zoe? I was born on Ghana land in Adelaide yep. and I went to school there. I went to the local primary school and then I went to the local high school, which happened to be um, a specialist arts high school before right. in Adelaide in the time and each specialised in a different form of music. And I was in the strings program, so you could audition and do double music within the public education system. It was an extraordinary wow. program still going now. Because I was going to ask you both that, um, where did you begin with performing arts? And so for you, Zoe, that would be your beginning. Yeah, I was really fortunate that I started learning cello at the school in year four because the uh, education department brought music teachers around to the school and um, sized us all up and said, well, you'd be good at this instrument. And so the teacher, right. this incredible teacher, Miriam Morris, who um, said you'd be good at cello. I hadn't thought about learning it before. There was no great 
um, passion or even knowledge of the instrument. And so yep. I started taking lessons through the school and then moved into private lessons with Miriam. Wow. And Tali, when did you get into performing arts then? Was it more of a high school thing or did you have any extracurricular things you did when you moved to the Barossa Valley? Look, when, it, when we moved to the Barossa, my parents, and, and again, I, it'd be an interesting conversation for me to have with them in terms of what, what drove them to make sure this was happening. But when we reached the Barossa, a kind of new regime was, was put on us as kids and we had to do one sport and one musical instrument. And yeah. um, like Zoe, I did have a beautiful piano teacher um, when I was in primary school. I wasn't a fabulous student by any means. In fact, <laughs> I, you know, I do very fondly remember um, trying to understand uh, metres and time. What are they called? Time Oh, time signatures. Time signatures by <laughs> playing music and I would dance around the church, which is where the lessons were, and then say four, four or two, four, six, eight. <laughs> um, there was no way I was sitting on a little piano stool uh, for those lessons. <laughs> but it was maybe a very embodied way to start um, learning, yeah, to start those kind of creative or cultural um, engagements. Oh, and you're inviting your teacher into a new mode of teaching. How great. <laughs> well, it's kind of where, you're, where you've, you've circled around to today in those sort of uh, immersive experiences and, and learning and doing something in a totally different vein that you thought that you would. Um, so what happened after primary school for both of you? Where did you go off to then and further your learning in performing arts? Zoe? Uh, well, yeah, I was at this high school doing a lot of music playing in a lot of ensembles and I got into um, really into early music. They had a yeah. Baroque string at the school and through that I started performing uh, professionally while I was still at high school. So I was getting the incredible experience of um, yeah, professional music making and yeah. learning about the relationship between an audience. And the beautiful thing about Baroque repertoire is it involves um, historical research because mm -hmm. um, you look authentic ways of performing it, but also a great amount of creativity in, in interpreting the repertoire. Um, and that really clicked with me, this idea of um, the notes are just a way into the expression. And I loved all of the philosophy behind um, the Baroque um, idioms. I loved all the rhetoric and how it was tied in with dance. So there was very rich um, learning going on there. Yeah. And and that allowed um, elements of improvisation and all, even composition as well. And when I look back now, I see that that, that really helped in my um, uh, comfort in being able to move away from written notes in the classical mm. world and moving into composition. What about you, Tali? What happened after primary school? <laughs> what happened after um, the music lessons? <laughs> <laughs> the music lessons, yeah. I, I look. I went to um, a private Lutheran school, and there was um, actually my drama teacher, who is now my father-in-law. <laughs> oh, wow! wow. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, there was. I yeah. I I did drama in high school, and I was saying to Zoe before. I remember we had a in year eleven a, a drama teacher. A maternity feeling who was an actor and she had real life experience and I think at that moment I was like oh this is a profession I mm. you know I didn't grow up really understanding that there were employment opportunities um in the creative industries yes. in the arts but um 
that was certainly a moment when a little light bulb went off that something that I enjoyed so much could be, yeah. A, a, a real job. A, yeah. Mm. Um, so I started acting uh, for three years at the Centre for Performing Arts in Adelaide. Um, and uh, that was, do you know, the, probably the biggest takeaway for me from that was really as a, as a female, I can only speak from my perspective, but understanding the strength and um purpose of my body but also my voice as a tool and shifting from uh yeah and and the way that that shifted shifted me as a young woman into kind of uh understanding the power of both the physical aspect of my body but also the the power of my voice um and yeah yeah. so that's probably the biggest takeaway for me from that time actually yeah yeah and Zoe, you're, um, or you have been, and an, uh, are you still currently a teaching artist for the Song Room? Yeah, I was for many years. I'm not at the moment, but um, I hope I will be again in the future. It's, yeah, we've had a long relationship and it was quite life-changing to start working with the Song Room and yeah. to my practice to, yeah, evolve into this idea of teaching artistry. Yeah, did you think that uh, you going into classrooms or when you did teaching at schools that you would be turning some light bulbs on and some little kids that go, oh, I could actually do this. Like like Tali said, I could be this when I'm older. Yeah, and I think more so in terms of just a way of being in the world that's mm. not necessarily you're going to be um, a musician or performer, but just, you know, being an art, that your life is art, you are mm. the art and yeah. that, yeah, it will change the way you move through the world and how you notice things and how you draw on the mysterious <laughs> and how yeah. you relate to people. Um, yeah. And I've sort of had dreams with my teaching because I've taught instrumental uh, lessons, one-on-one lessons and string programs since I was at uni. So I've done yeah. that throughout. And when I moved into the teaching artist, well, that was more, that's class, that was classroom, mm. um, like workshops, which sort yeah. of came from more devised collaborative way of making work performance work or music or composition and but and with the song room all of that work is with extremely marginalized communities and so I'm never wanting to assume that people will be able to have the opportunities that I was afforded in terms of um well the tertiary education I had there's so many different ways of learning and moving through the world so I've always tried to make the experiences we have at the time together extremely meaningful so that um, just finding those ways to make music meaningful or performance that that could be then taken into any aspect of one's life in terms of you know finding ways to make ritual or just appreciating a piece of music in a different way thinking about it um, in a a a deeper way not deeper but yeah yeah, it's yeah not necessarily um I feel like I'm more modelling myself as a, the, the beauty that art can give you in your life as yeah. a way to cope, you know, the inner world and the solace that it can provide. Yeah, and what a, what a human can look like when they let art into their life and those kids can see that and it's kind of a beautiful thing for them to think I could be that type of person, not necessarily a musician like you said, but I could, I could feel that way and walk that way through the world. That's beautiful. So what happened, um, then what happened out of uni, ladies? So where did you go to then? Because, uh, Tali, you've been a playwright and all this. No. <laughs> down and dirty things. Just, just I, let's know. talk about the experiences. 
Um, yeah, look, I, I graduated acting and I, you know, I loved, I do, I did love acting, um, but very quickly it became um, apparent to me that if, if I rather, um, Zoe's heard me say this before, and it's not something I'm necessarily proud of, but I'm not a particularly patient person. Um, and so being an actor required just waiting, really. I felt, you know, you would audition, but that you had to wait for permission to practice your craft. And, yep. and for me, I just didn't, that, that wasn't going to sustain me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I quickly moved into producing so that there were opportunities for me to act. And then I yep. think even playwriting, you know, then I was um, touring with a children's show called Hitler's Daughter, which was uh, created uh, an adaptation of a Jackie French novel um, that, uh, Monkey Bar Theatre for Young People in Sydney adapted and as I was touring around uh, with that I also began writing because again I, it felt like um, and so that was just uh, something I would do in hotel rooms when there was you know not a great deal going on as I was touring around you know because you would spend eight months of the year on the road um, yeah. that was but your that was yeah, and it became an extension of that impatience. Like, what will the next thing be and how will, um, yeah, an extension of that impatience but also a response to, I guess, some of the roles that I could see were coming my way and feeling mm. like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know these people and why, like, um, I know that as an actor you're meant to be able to leap into other people's skin but I actually yeah. didn't at that time feel that the roles I were going for that the roles were kind of as funny or as smart or as kind of passionate as the women that I was meeting mm, and yeah. being with. So, um, yeah, so I started writing and then producing my writing and um, and then really if I still do define myself as a playwright because the puzzles I love to solve revolve around words, revolve yeah. around dialogue, around how people speak to each other, to themselves, the stories we tell to ourselves. Um, and that that's still the craft that I'm absolutely most passionate about. Um, yeah. So, Zoe, um, what happened after, after university for you? Because you would have been uh, performing and all the way through. What happened next? Yes, it took a very long time to finish my degree. <laughs> because I do just yeah sometimes I just do a subject a semester so I could be um performing and yeah. uh yeah doing my other things I did um a degree in ethnomusicology and mm-hmm. arts didn't quite finish the arts one but finished the music one um and in that time I was starting to move into composition I was starting to work with theatre companies and dance theatre in particular dance theatre was very big in Adelaide at that time mm-hmm. because of yeah. some companies that had come through and some of the dancers that were living in Adelaide had worked with Pina Bausch so that was a very strong movement of ways of making work and I really loved that and I loved the people that I met through that the theatre makers and performance makers yeah so I started to move more into that world um, and and still doing a lot of baroque playing but moving into experimental um, performance as well and playing in heaps of bands um, yeah. yeah and I can't even quite remember when I finished my degree it's, it was <laughs> <laughs> like a big change, you know, between um, studying and being out in the world. I co-founded a, a dance theatre company called Lady Killers yep. and we weren't doing straight narratives and we weren't doing proscenium arch performances so much. So I think the installations was an extension of that as well of mm. just, yeah, 
making experiences and trying to create other universes. Yeah. And so that would lead into Tali and Sarah Lockwood then creating The Threshold. Yeah, although, you know, I kind of sometimes think it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg conversation because mm. um, Zoe uh, and uh, a group called The Seam and Sarah Lockwood have collaborated on a number of projects. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was very fortunate and grateful to have the opportunity to glimpse some of that um, with a work that Zoe directed called Boy Who Loved Tiny Things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that came about from a collaboration, as you're saying, Tali, with Drop Bear Theatre, which is Sarah's yep. um, children's theatre company, yep. and The Scene, which is an arts collective of four um, female artists who yeah. studied together creative arts therapy at the MICAT Institute. Right. So they were coming in a really interesting, um, deep way of listening and making work and creating mm-hmm. installations. And that collaboration with Drop Bear, the first work was called Rain, um, which was with cellist Reed Accordingly as well. And that was a work specifically for babies and their carers, which was an installation that's sort of activated by the performers within it. And um, I was asked to come in and uh, play in one of those seasons of Rain. And it really uh, blew my mind that you could change the way families are being mm. together by creating very carefully thought through spaces and installations and yep. thinking about things like how can we make this space completely safe for the babies so that the carers can switch off their risk assessment part of their brain and just be and yeah it was a real revelation for me to see how powerful that kind of work was and from that we moved into making a work called the boy who loved tiny things which was um moving away from child focused work because we've always been so interested in the way that young people enter spaces and they just intuitively know how they want to be in the space and we've noticed that it's much harder for adults and they need a lot of permissions and a lot of care to get to be able to let themselves be and not judge themselves Mm. um so the boy who loved tiny things became more about how do we create spaces where families can be together and it's about everyone equally finding ways to be in the space and to drop into the experience. And then we started to think more about this term of relational theatre making, where when you're making the work, every aspect of the work, all the decisions come from this idea of, is there a way that we can create a a space that allows the possibility of some kind of transformation between the family members or the group that are experiencing it together? So it feels like quite a different way of working, and but it's very um, uh, powerful, and we can find our way to make work together. Very um, well, there's a real flow in making that kind of work because it's very clear to us whether something will feel like it will add to that um, possible experience of transformation or not. Yeah, and the way we work is very slow and reflective and quite phenomenological, and it involves bringing audiences in to make the work because they're really mm-hmm. <laughs> they're the ones that make the work and we yep. observe and tweak and um and that that also changes the way that we perform within the space too because we're always responding to the audience so it's quite a different performer audience relationship and it's quite a different way of um yeah quite a different collaborative process and also a different way of talking with venues because the work always ends up being site specific mm. because 
we've, we've got to be in touch mm -hmm. with the space and the way that people are going to enter the space even for us to be able to create these spaces where people can drop very deeply into their own embodied experience of the work. Yeah. So um, when I was looking and researching what exactly was Threshold when I found um, your work, Tali, with Sarah, um, I found Mountain Goat Mountain and just it was just so gorgeous. But the, the fact that it has sort of come across because of COVID and because of lockdown and because of separation, and there you were um, creating this experience that people could have in their own homes um, that was theatre, but it was um, just that experience that you were talking about where, uh, Zoe, um, it's collaborative, it depends on the people that are, you're with, um, and a home-based experience. Tell us about that creation, and did it come across be because of COVID, or was it something that you were thinking of beforehand? Well, it, it came across because of the work that this group of collaborators really had been um, doing I think like so Sarah was involved in those conversations and collaborations and then Sarah and I were also having conversations around how um, we could use our skills as as, as theatre makers mm. um, to create moments of connection for people at particular points in their lives um, and you know we're uh, many, many of us who, who worked to create Mountain Goat Mountain uh, work regionally, uh, well, live regionally, work sometimes in the city, sometimes um, uh, regionally. And so a part of that conversation to prior to the pandemic was how do we, how do we make theatre that people who don't have access to the, to the, to the venues that are mm. presenting work whether that's because of geography, whether that's because of um, socioeconomic uh, reasons um, or, or physical access restrictions, all of those kind of things. How, how can we make theatre accessible, more accessible in those, yeah. in those ways? So um, there's a lot, as you can see, there's a lot of things kind of feeding into this um, uh, creation of Mountain Goat Mountain and when the pandemic hit Threshold was about one year old and yep. we had created some analogue works uh, some analogue so some cards that um, activated play and connection within people's homes um, but the pandemic really gave us an opportunity to uh, to investigate the digital version of that yep. so um, I we there had already been with with Zoe and some of uh, the other collaborators a a, um, a physical workshop uh, which was called Mountains of Kindness that had happened here locally with the the local council and yep. those questions um, around creating the conditions and uh, how audiences are invited into the space and uh, were very much already at play in that and then mm -hmm. provided, I guess the starting point for conversations about what would become Mountain Goat Mountain. Yeah that, that, the Mountains of Kindness workshop was exploring the ideas of how um, everyone in a family moves through the world and how they navigate yeah. the world especially if you have um, a young person that's about to start school mm. or kindergarten mm. so the, the, elastic, the elasticity between everyone is starting to be stretched so yeah reflecting on how you move and how you think your child might move through the world and how finding modes of checking in with each other. 
through mm. nonverbal, physical gesture, drawing, um, yeah. other forms. So that's where we were at. And then we realized mm. that this idea of navigating and this idea of stretching and expansion could be interesting in this time when we were so confined and we needed to find ways to check in with each other. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so it was, so just to give you a tiny bit of process about Mountain Goat Mountain, um, Sarah Lockwood was, you know, very quick to, to work with um, uh, Susanna Sweeney from Dream Big Festival and Adelaide Festival Centre to kind of pull together a, a group of presenters, Art Centre Melbourne, um, Home of the Arts in Queensland and Awesome festival in Perth who were ready to take a risk on on a new form and they it all happened very quickly I think you know within we uh, it, it was something like within the first six weeks of the pandemic so the whole creative process took place via zoom yes um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that <laughs> and you know it was uh, it's such an, it was such an interesting experience, particularly in hindsight, when I think about how fast Zoom Zoom processes yeah. tend to be now, at least for me. Yep. But the space and the time around the quiet space on screen and the kind of conversations that were had were so rich, really. Yeah. From um, the word go. Yes, and we were having those Zoom conversations, but we also had our WhatsApp thread where we were collecting mm. images and we also used um, mural software, mm. which is like a post-it note kind of brain mapping software. So we were able to bring yep. in, pull all the information and all of the layers and the millions of things we would <laughs> wanted to embed in the work <laughs> through these and, uh, modes of communication. <laughs> and then six weeks later, out yeah. in Goat Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it literally, it was quite. I mean, it's it's quite remarkable to look back on, to be honest. Um, because yeah, so there was the, obviously the creative um, conversations, and then laid on top of that was technology that I don't think any of us would call ourselves experts in technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we really had to find the easiest way through it, or and so we used existing platforms to support what we were doing and there were some compromises that we needed to make in order to do that um because the experience involves a website that's your sort of your into that's your way into mm -hmm. it and within yep. that there's audio and embedded into the website and uh, descriptions as well isn't yeah. it? and imagery yeah. so it's finding the ways that all of those um, technologies to work together yeah. that would give this smooth flow and the creative space in the way that we would do if we were holding an installation and welcoming an audience in. Yeah. But you know, one of, I, it's so, it was so surreal, Jennifer, to be putting a piece of work out into the world that we had never seen. Yes. You no, know, as theatre makers and performers, you're so used to being able to read an audience um, about mm. just things in that way. Um, and so we did do some testing and got interviewed families who'd done it um, in yep. some early iterations and then adjusted the work accordingly. But, it, you know, there's a, there was a great deal of trust, <laughs> I think, in... It's because we were never able to observe a family doing it because of the, the um, hard lockdown at the time. Yeah, and we wanted it to be done differently every time. 
because everything is different and every wherever they're at is different it's going to be something new every single time it's true it's one of my favorite things about it (laughs) is that you know it is it responds to the unique dynamics of the family um and you know i we the data tells us that people are doing it at 8 a.m in the morning (laughs) you know like Fresh out of bed, you know, let's go. <laughs> you know, a theatre show could never do that, you know. Like, yeah. so it's, it's what we're learning about this in new form. I I feel like it provides space for a deeper intimacy. Mm. Uh, I do I do love and yeah mm. inspires me to continue to investigate this form and the possibilities of it. Threshold. You don't just have Mountain Goat Mountain. You have um, Feather Quest and Hide and Go Sleeps, where you you give parents a little bit of a chance to have a, a break from um, everybody and then experience something. <laughs> so, you know, no. <laughs> we um yes, that's correct. Both Hide and Go Sleep are those analog version and Feather Quest. Yeah. Um, and you know, we really. In terms of responding to the need of the moment, you know, the, the beautiful through line in um, Mountain Goat Mountain, which is everything you need is here. Mm-hmm. And then it felt like there was a shift, at least in Australia, um, when, yeah. as we progressed through the pandemic, we really wanted, we felt like a little bit of hope might was a nice thing to kind of um, ruminate on. And so Feather Quest really is, um, is a very kind of... Uh, has has that I guess as its central thesis in terms of hope um so that that wasn't yeah a response to that moment too but yeah in terms of um what's next it's again returning to the beautiful work um that the theme and drop bear and Edwina accordingly um and also Zoe created in rain so we're looking at how to digitise or how to make a digital adaptation mm. of, of a work for parents of yep. young children who yep. also may struggle to get to the theatre for a new, you know, numerous yep. reasons. Um, it's, it's the perfect idea, uh, especially at this time, but uh, just to have a bit of connection again with your own children and that if you can't go outside, what are you going to do? Rain is is quite beautiful. I've seen the trailer with the children and um, the cellists and the different things that happen. And um, they're just so beautiful experiences that you're creating. Um, What do you love about what you do? Come on, Zoe, you too. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, what's not to love? I love everything about it. I love the, um, the chance with this kind of work to to have very long collaborative relationships with people mm. and especially we're in our 40s now that great privilege of knowing people for decades and carrying on this um, artistic conversation and mm. noticing how we're changing and what we're drawn to what we're drawn to make and what we're drawn to experience as well in the arts and just feeling grateful that we can still find ways to make yeah. work and this great um uh, opportunity we've had with all of the um, upheaval and the liminality of this time, all the trauma think, to really think about um, what's necessary, is the, stuff, is the work we make necessary, what do audiences mm. need, what do we need, and to really be rethinking all of that. And we, we have, we have, before the pandemic, we were thinking a lot about access and um, equality and things, and we've 
just had we've gone deeper <laughs> in that yeah. yeah um because of this last year yeah yeah what about you Tali what do you what do you love about what you do <laughs> um I, what I love about what I've learned in the last 12 or 24 months is um uh you know when I talk about um how I got to where I am I think about the way that I've driven things, the way that I wanted to write or I wanted to present productions. Um, and there's a lot of I in that. Mm-hmm. And this work, focusing on particular moments of time and responding to the needs of the moment and hearing from audiences or people about what they need has flipped has flipped that in a way that I'm finding I'm finding deeply satisfying yeah. but has also removed a lot of the I which um you know is is a great and a relief <laughs> you know yeah. a real relief and a real privilege yeah um so who who have you been your greatest mentors I, I know you you work basically with each other and other people who you would consider mentors as well. But who are those mentors or teachers throughout your lives that have made impact? Tali, I'm so interested in you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Rattle them off, rattle them off, because they they could listen. They could. It would be nice for them to hear something. if It would. It really would. You know, there have been a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm going to get a little bit soppy, actually. So um, I, so my father-in-law, obviously I met the drama teacher. <laughs> I met my husband at a very young age um, yep. in in high school. There's debate about whether we actually had met in primary school, and he's he's in the arts um, as well. He's a screenwriter, and you know we are in our forties now, and I think um, for me. It's not a mentor, but it's such a, this isn't an, this isn't an easy industry and to stay committed to um, a creative practice, to stay committed um, to curiosity, to not knowing the answers um, and to, to living a beautiful and creative life uh, is, is, has been, I mean, I, you, you get one shot, right? And I'm just yeah. so grateful to be walking um, with someone who uh, who I can experience that with. Um, yeah. But I also, you know, uh, as an extension of that, and I'm not saying this just because Zoe's here, but for, for me being in Kyneton and the creative community here is holds that in place for me too, like to be with people like Zoe as a collaborator and as a friend who mm. who also give so generously into that space um it, yeah that 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 that's the ongoing mentorship i think of of my life is people who remind me how valuable and sacred uh the act of creativity and connection through creativity is <laughs> what about you zoe so true that moving to a small town I um we've been in Kyneton for maybe 10 years and I had no um understanding of what living in a smaller regional place was but it allows 
that village sense of mm. um, having important people around that you can bump into, you can have these conversations and it might be a parenting conversation or um, one about the novel you've just read or about making the work. And so all of it is entwined. So it, which gives, um, keeps the energy going and the inspiration going, mm. the spark, um, because it's, things aren't separated. Yeah. We're not, uh, yeah. Yep. It's part of the same conversation and moving through the world. And it's, yeah, I've, I'm so <laughs> so grateful as well that we all happen to end up in this place, especially as Talia and I and Sarah as well grew up in Adelaide and didn't really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and now you're in Victoria. Yeah, and I too have the, the great um, privilege of having a partner who's also in the arts and is so supportive of my practice and we're always putting the creative first and all of our decisions come from that. Um, and to have that long conversation is, is such a privilege and seeing how my partner moves through the world too and his um, exploration of um, inspiration and creating is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, my, in terms of when I was younger, my first two cello teachers, uh, Miriam Morris and Claire Oramland, were hugely... Um, inspiring because I would have my lessons at their house and so you know just being in that space of an artist seeing what mm. post is that learning who Chagall was because there was a Chagall poster there <laughs> seeing that you know looking through their books and their records yeah and that, yeah that rich um life and that there were very strong women as well yeah um who had made a life um centering on on their craft and and becoming experts in their in their craft as well and working yep. with such discipline your whole their whole lives if you have to <laughs> as a musician you know it's rigorous and extremely disciplined and, and then through that is you know all the freedom and the um expression what's the big dream for threshold um and what's the big dream for your futures yeah, look, Threshold, we actually, we do have big dreams. Um, and, I hope you do because uh, I think it's, it's awesome, okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so our big dream is to create a suite of works uh, that mark life's big moments and that help, that connect people through a creative experience in those times, whether it's divorce, whether it's first day of school, whether it's the death of a pet, like to create a suite of theatrical and um, creative responses to those moments that, yep. that connect people with their community, whether that's their family or, or, or the community around them. So that's okay. the, the, the big vision for Threshold. Mm -hmm. mm. Hmm. Zoe, what do you want to add? <laughs> um. um I find it's interesting. It feels quite hard to respond to that big dream. Um, to keep uh, finding ways to make work. And what I would like to do actually is be able to carve out time for my solo practice as well, yep. as well as keeping these collaborative relationships going and the teaching. So that, yeah, carving out that space to get some of the projects that are in my head out into the world. Um, to yep. challenge myself to take up that, that space. <laughs> and ladies, what advice would you give to um, students who are often the, in the performing arts world and are, are, are making their way through and it's, it's a bit weird at the moment for them, but what advice have you been given or do you take with you wherever you go and you would forward on? 
to the next generation? Um, I, look, it might have just come out of the question around uh, mentors, but I do, you know, it is this industry is about relationships. I mean, life is about relationships, who you're travelling with and um, how they build you up and, and provide, you know, support you along the way. And so I, I think find, you know, good people, spend time with them and, um, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, it is, it is, it can be difficult. So surround yourself with people who build you yeah. up and, and, and help you to achieve what, whatever it is that you want to achieve. Yeah, hmm? yeah. I reckon, yeah, ask for someone to be your mentor as yeah. well. I, I wish yeah. I'd done that when I was much younger. Yeah. I just actually said, will you, <laughs> yeah. you know, and have a slightly more formalised relationship with someone. Um, yeah. A lot of people and, are scared to do that, I think. Of course, yeah, 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 very much so. Um, and the only thing I would add to that is just keep filling up your, um, your soul and your heart and your craft with um, learning and whether it's in the mode that you practice or all the other modes because everything mm. adds to it, but you just got to keep um, filling it up because um, that's part of the, the practice as well, isn't it? And in those times yeah. when you're not or you can't, you've got all of that great art that you've put in for, to mm. have a rich inner life and that you can just really love what other artists make without feeling um, competitive or um, mm. worried that you're not making at the time, but you can just be loving the other things that people have been making too. Yeah. Oh, well, on that note, I love what you're making uh, and I want to be you. I want to come to Kind and I want to sit in between you guys and have a cup of tea and we can talk and collaborate all day long. That's what I want to do. Um, well, get in touch when you, you know, <laughs> when you've got your thermals on. <laughs> And, and I can bring a bunch of records and whip out the old techniques and let's go, ladies. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Tali Corrin and Zoe Barry. Um, much luck for the future of Threshold and the future of your immersive relational uh, developments and best of luck. Thank you very much for joining us at the Apata podcast.